You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. going on everybody good evening welcome to review and preview i'm your host tom scavetta join alongside my co-host kyle russo and on the bottom screen a very familiar face returns he is muted just so you know um after nearly a four month sabbatical <laughs> the one the only james montefusco is back on review and preview guys how's it going james welcome back Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be back. Missed you guys. I can't believe that was a crazy four months. Tom and Kyle and whoever's watching, coworkers, friends, you guys know what those four months was for me. Nonstop working left and right. I'm happy to be back. I missed this very much, especially on Tuesday nights. Instead of sleeping half a Tuesday, I'm here with you guys instead. James, you were totally sleeping on these days. You were taking a vacation. No, but James, happy to, happy to see you back, brother. Happy to have you back co-hosting with us. James has done a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff for us yeah. uh, during his little sabbatical, so he's still been doing work for us. Um, really do appreciate having you back on tonight, having the whole crew back on. And, folks, before we get into tonight's uh, script and agenda, make sure to go follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Review and Preview Sports. We are at 490 Instagram followers, so get us to 500. That would be awesome um, within the next couple of days. Also, make sure to subscribe to our podcast on YouTube. Our YouTube channel is Review and Preview Sports. Keep those uh, subscribes coming because Hank just posted a bunch of videos from his show last night where he talked about the MLB All-Star rosters and the Subway Series recap, which, um, you know, we'll talk about the Mets a little later tonight. But before we get to the Mets, we're going to talk about the Stanley Cup Finals. And then after that, we'll dive into the Mets and we'll talk about Trevor Lawrence signing his rookie contract. And then we will also talk about some other little nuggets about the NBA final since that is starting tonight. Um, but yeah, folks, if you do have a comment throughout the live stream, make sure to comment below in the comment section. We will get back to you as soon as we can. Make sure to share this podcast with a friend, maybe two friends. Really do appreciate all the support. So without further ado, um, hope you guys had an awesome 4th of July, by the way. I know my 4th of July was great. It was up in Pennsylvania with the family, friends, had a real nice time. And yeah. It was a great weekend. I am happy to be back talking some Stanley Cup finals here tonight, guys. Yeah, really excited to be back as well. Took a little uh, incidental break last week, uh, not knowing the status of my vacation, not starting on time, but happy to be back, happy to be talking some sports with you guys, NHL specifically, as we are in Stanley Cup finals mode, boys. We are, and – James and Kyle, last week while you guys were out, I had two guests on the show. One is a Vegas Golden Knights fan, John Rankin, and then um, Garth Michael Patrick. But, James, how was your 4th of July? Were you up to any crazy wing-eating stuff? I, I know 
you're kind of big into uh, into the logistics of Fourth of July. <laughs> oh yeah, I went all out because they were shooting off fire. No, no, no. I was uh, with a few of my buddies having a barbecue, just low key relaxing Fourth of July. Glad the sun came out, and I had a washout weekend. Um, you know, just just chilling like pretty much the rest of us. It was nice. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, Stanley Cup, man. It's what I've been looking forward to. Yeah, and Garth, who I spoke to last week, just commented, yes, sir, let's go Bolts. Close out the series in Tampa Bay tomorrow night. Yeah, Montreal won game four last night. They stole that one from Tampa at home. And hopefully for your sake, Garth, and my sake as um, a Rangers fan, kind of adopting Tampa Bay as my honorary <laughs> playoff team, the Rangers are out of it. Um, you know, I'm pulling for Tampa Bay in this series, so – Hopefully that is the case. But before we analyze the series, we do have to talk about some sad news. Unfortunately, um, the Columbus Blue Jackets goalie Matisse Kivleniex passed away at the age of 24 Sunday evening on the 4th of July after being struck by fireworks. Matisse had chest trauma from an errant fireworks mortar blast. Um, Matisse played just eight NHL games, two games this season, and his former teammate, David Savard, who is now a defenseman on the Lightning, he was, he was traded there this season um, as a former teammate of his. And, you know, it's a shame that he shares excitement towards developing more on the NHL level next season. But, guys, this is a freakish, freakish accident, and it's a real shame. Yeah, we, we saw, obviously, as Giants fans years back with JPP and his incident, you know, uh, with his hand you know, ha- having to then play throughout his career, missing some fingers with on his hand. And then now you're seeing an incident. Somebody lost their life, took a firework to the chest, and it, and it killed them. That is that is unbelievable. It's it's absolutely tragic story, and it's horrific, to be quite honest with you. I can't even imagine, let alone being hit by a firework, being shot in the chest. But I think from what I read, he took like two fireworks to the chest, oh, um, some type of trauma, uh, and, it, and it killed him. He was rushed to the hospital, and he wound up dying later on. It's absolutely tragic story. James, what do you think? I mean, we know what it's like as a Giants fan hearing about the news of JPP five or mm-hmm. six years five or six years ago. Um, a not so fun fact that we posted on Friday, but this this just shouldn't have happened. And um, the president of the Columbus Blue Jackets, the president of their hockey operations, John Davidson, made a statement saying, uh, Kiwi was an outstanding young man who greeted every day and everyone with a smile and the impact he had during his four years with our organization will not be forgotten. So thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's sad to see, especially a kid only 24 years old. Um, you know, plenty of hockey left in him, plenty of life obviously still left in him. Um, you know what, Tom? You said it perfectly. When we heard the news about JPP, we we knew it was just fingers. We knew it was just going to only be a few fingers lost or whatever. Not hearing somebody's life has been taken away. I mean, from fans' aspects, that that's devastating because if he was your favorite player or somebody, a young kid looked up to, like I want to be like him when I get older and play hockey. You know, and then to his family and his friends that were probably around him. You know. I'm sure whoever was lighting off the fireworks feels terrible. You know, like I think in one of the articles, it just fell over. You know, you just don't know that obviously leave fireworking to professionals. Let's all start with that. 
but then also like I feel bad for his family. I give condolences to his family and any of his loved ones because it's just it's just hard, especially celebrating such a great moment in history for this country and like you know something very special and then having it dampered by that. But all condolences to him and his family. Um, you know that's all I gotta say. Apparently, from what I read, we took a, we talk about tragedy of event. He was at um, the goaltending coach's house uh the goaltending coach's uh daughter was getting married so they was on that wedding day and then he just just a horrible horrible scene of events horrific from what i'm reading i'm trying to i'm trying to go get the i'm reading all these stories i'm trying to get the most accurate of stories or or most detailed of stories of what actually went down and what happened because originally they reported that it was a head trauma and then you hear later on that he took a firework to the chest so it's, it's just crazy it is crazy. We do have a couple comments. John Rankin says, uh, screw fireworks. Rest in peace, Matisse. Um, Garth has a comment. Uh, yes, Montreal did bring a ton of physicality last night. Finally, some huge performances from some of their defensemen, and it really threw off guys like Point and Kutrov. Uh, exactly, exactly. Make sure to go follow Garth. Um, he's the host of the Sweet Tea podcast on the Sports Box. Make sure to go check them out. They have their own Facebook page. Um their show is awesome, <laughs> awesome stuff. Um, and then John Rankin saying, welcome back, James. Get hyped. Thank so you, John. Good. John was an awesome guest last week. Um, Vegas fan. Um, originally from Pennsylvania, though. So, um, yeah, he was definitely a fun guy to chat to. Both of our guests from last week. Awesome stuff in the comments section. Keep it coming, folks. Really do appreciate both of you commenting in the early stages here. And now we're going to kind of dive into the Stanley Cup final where Tampa Bay, the three seed in the central advanced, they beat your Islanders, which I know we kind of talked about the Islanders last week. Um, We're not going to really touch upon them tonight since, I mean, kind of irrelevant at this point, guys. Okay, Um, well, you know what? You guys got my take when you heard my voice after the game, so. Yes. One of the best videos that I've seen. I will say, though, um, Shout out to Yanni Gord in Game Seven, getting them there. But Montreal, I, I so I feel like we all kind of had an idea that Tampa Bay was probably going to advance. Like they had the slight advantage. Um, whether or not, like you guys were hopeful that the Islanders would win the series, would win the series, and that they might win the series. But Tampa Bay was definitely the best team of those four remaining, and they kind of lived up to the hype and got here. But Montreal wasn't supposed to get here. They pulled some 1993-esque type shit, and now they're here. They're yeah. here yeah. in the Stanley Cup final. They're down 3-1. I mean, they're they're alive. I mean, they're not alive and well, but they're still here, guys. They're still yeah. here. Their journey is absolutely incredible. They came back from, what, a 3-1 deficit against Toronto. Yeah. And then they play Winnipeg. They sweep them. Mm-hmm. And then they go on to play Vegas. And Tom, I think the last show that I was on, you and I, depending upon how the series was, we both picked like Vegas and six. And then Montreal won those next two games and then closed out the series. And now they're in the Stanley Cup. And, you know, I, I had said it all along that, you know, the Canadians will go as far as Carey Price will take them. And Carey Price, you know, there's only so much that he could do as a goaltender while. You can be phenomenal. You have to have a defense in front of you. And from the games that I've watched, at least the first couple, they have not helped him out that much. And then on top of the offense, not being able to necessarily perform 
I think the first two games, they only had two goals. Mm-hmm. And then even when they scored three, I think Tampa scored six in that game three defeat. Mm-hmm. So they're not getting the most out of this team. And even though they're still alive, to again, they're going to have to win another three more to win this whole thing. Oh. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I've seen crazier things happen, though, James. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, the Canadian – they've had a very interesting ride to get to this point, you know which is astonishing to me because sometimes it was like, oh, let me catch some hockey, let me not, you know. Me and my coworker, uh, Tom, I believe you might have met him or whatnot via um, StreamYard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Steven, he actually was um, at the first Canadian Tampa Bay game. That's right. That's right. So he went down there. Yeah. He, he's down there now, and he said it was it was insane. I, I want to try to get do a little side segment with him when he comes back home just to get his point of view, but he was saying like, it was insane. And he would, me and him at work, we were talking about hockey and whatever. And he didn't think the Canadians were going to make it this far. So it kind of like blew everybody out of the water. It's like what you see in NBA. I'm not, I don't know if the Canadians are very big market team or whatnot over in Canada, but in my mind, I don't think they are or see them as that, but a, a decent sized market team now making the Stanley cups, Stanley cup. It's, it's, Quite interesting to see. Oh no, man, dude. That, I mean, that's the biggest of market teams in Canada. But in terms of well, where they were, where they were placed, and where they were sought yeah. out to be seen in the season, I, I don't think anybody could have projected that. If you looked at probably all of the Canadian teams that were left in the playoffs between Winnipeg, Edmonton, and Toronto, I think that a lot of people would agree, at least with Edmonton and Toronto, that those were teams, Canadian teams, that they thought would get farther than a than a Montreal team. Well, yeah, they definitely have been, like Sal was saying, a Cinderella season, uh, potentially coming to an end. But they're, they're, we'll, we'll see what happens, man. We'll see what happens. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting because again, they forced OT last night and they won the game. But it's all about the momentum because now I don't know if you guys saw it. The mayor of Tampa came out and was like, "It's okay, yep. we lost Game Four because then we'll just win it back at the I think it's the Emil Center." Uh, yeah. Emily, yeah, Emily, yeah, Emily, yeah. We'll win it back in Tampa or something like that. So we'll see if he uh, impacted the team and what unfolds uh, come tomorrow night. We'll see if they could even get a game with this hurricane hitting Florida right now. We'll, we'll see if that's still on for tomorrow night. Yeah, if they can fly back to Tampa. Yeah. Oh, weather's been crazy. I mean, we have a tornado watch here in the New York area right now, so that's kind of affecting us. I know we were a little staticky before we went live. Uh, Thanks for the comment, Sal, about the Cinderella season, Salvatore for Mike. I do agree with him. I think the Cinderella season ends in game five. He's, yeah. He definitely uh, is correct with that. And then Andy Hopper in the comment section, pretty sure the Canadians <laughs> are pretty big in Canada, James. Uh, you know, Andy, you got me, you know. It's his first show back, Andy. Give him, give him some slack. Come, James, yeah. wasn't it two years ago? Didn't you take a trip to Montreal? Yeah. Uh, we went to, went to Toronto. Toronto. You went to Toronto with we Kyle saw, Earhart. Yep. Uh, we saw the CN Tower, the Hockey Hall of Fame. Definitely, you, any big hockey fans, quick side note, go see the Hockey Hall of Fame. I thought it was going to be boring and not exciting. That was great, especially seeing the cup. You can actually physically stand and touch the cup. I mean, it'd be pre-COVID. I don't know about now, considering Canada doesn't even have a full capacity games. Right. Yet, you know, but yeah. Definitely a lot of fun. Definitely go check it out. 
Garth in the comments section, they are back. Thankfully, Montreal made it as well. Tomorrow night, me and the Bolts fans are going to have Emily Rock in game two. We sold that place out. Let's talk about game two because last week we left off. Tampa was up one nothing when I was talking to Garth on the live stream. They won that game three to one and got outshot 43 to 23 by Montreal in typical mm-hmm. Islanders fashion. Um, Sorelli, Coleman, Palat all scored goals for Tampa Bay, and they've been doing this without Alex Kalorn, who's one of their top goal scorers, guys. I mean, his impact has definitely been missed in this series, despite them being up 3-1. to one. Game three, Tampa Bay went off. They scored six goals. They scored two goals in each period. I think the diversity of their offense, just their skill sets on offense, Kucherov, Coleman, Ruda, Hedman, Johnson had two. Palat had two assists. I mean, yeah. they've they've dominated. They do, they've dominated the series so far. And I don't even think Montreal had their coach on the bench until game three. Dominique Ducharme returned to the bench. So um I believe he had COVID nineteen. So um, which is crazy. We're still talking about that. Um yeah. So that was a disadvantage for them potentially yeah. in the first two games, having to communicate virtually with the interim head coach who took over for Claude Julian. Back in February, uh, late February. February. It's just, it's just the magnitude of this Tampa team is that we knew the offense that they were bringing to the table. We knew the powerhouse in which they had, and this was going to be, you know, obviously Montreal had gotten through a lot of terrific teams. They had gotten through Toronto, who was tremendous mm-hmm. offense, as we know. Uh, Winnipeg was kind of hurt because Blake Wheeler got suspended the entirety of that uh, series. But then you move on to Vegas, and that was another top dog, a favorite to go to the Stanley Cup and win the whole thing as well. And then this is the ultimate juggernaut in terms of defensive pieces, uh, offensive pieces. And then I'm pretty sure Vasilevsky won the – no, Andre Fleury won the um, – Mark Andre, Andre Fleury won the Vesna this year. Yeah. Yes. Vasilevsky is continuously in that conversation uh, as he is one of the top goalies in the entire NHL is that was it going to be enough, this, this Cinderella season in which they were having, they were going to have to perform perfectly on all cylinders in order to uh, win games. I, I thought that they'd be a little more competitive. I said, I'm pretty sure I said six games. It's still going in Tampa's favor. But, again, I didn't think it would be this much of a blowout fashion with the exception of last night's game. Like I said earlier, I think game one was 5-1 Tampa. Then game two was 3-1 Tampa. I thought it would be a little closer, but – Again, I yeah. want it. It sucks to see it. You get all the way here, and for this to be one of the less competitive series, and this be like for the whole trophy. I, I wish it was a little more competitive. But like, like Sal said earlier, I think it could probably will come to an end tomorrow night. I mean, it's yeah. not over yet, right? So, no. I think the problem with Montreal is, I mean, Nick Suzuki's been one of the lone fat. I think he scored a goal in two different games in this series. The, the um, acquisition of Corey Perry, his presence on this team has also helped them get reach this point. And then Denault as well. He, he's been outstanding. Cole Caulfield, the rookie, 20-year-old rookie, has helped them get here. Um, again, Montreal led in shots in game three. So, yeah. I mean, again, you can't always tally a shot count and say, well, Montreal was outplaying Tampa. That's not always the case. A lot of teams are taking shots because they're behind in games. They're they, they have to make up for some speed and Garth in the comment section. Uh, Noah Dibler, my man, Noah, 
Um, I believe he is a uh, Georgia sports fan. He, he is the co-host with Garth on uh, Sweet Tea. So make sure to go check them out again. We'll plug them one more time. Uh, and yeah, and Vasilevsky was unreal um, in that game. Game four, this is last night. I will go in, into a little depth about this game. Um, it was late. I was traveling yesterday, got home from Pennsylvania. Montreal won it 3-2 to two in overtime. It kind of went mm-hmm. back and forth. And, guys, the Lightning started OT on the power play, and they yeah. couldn't take advantage of it. We mentioned how key the power play would be to them, not just in this series, but against the Islanders, right? Um, in their series before that as well, um, Josh Anderson wound up scoring the game-winning goal 357 into overtime, and they just couldn't withstand that Montreal attack. They, they were getting tired. They couldn't. Take advantage of the power play. 0 for 5 on the power play last night. Kalorn has missed the last three games with an undisclosed injury. Um, a lot of his points have come on the power play in the play in the playoffs. Nikita Kucherov, who leads the NA, who leads the NHL with 32 points in the playoffs, over half have come on the power have come on the power play. They need the power play to be successful. It's been their recipe to success this season, guys. It's incredible how impactful Tampa is in, in terms of how they play on the power play and what their penalty kill as well. I know, Tom, you brought it up. That was the key to, to, for the Islanders in terms of their success is that when they were playing them, something that you know I noticed with the exception of that one game where they lost 8 nothing, is that they didn't play any sloppy hockey. They, they, they played tremendously. They played – coordinated they didn't play dumb hockey they, they played good defense hard-nosed defense and came in tremendously offensively mm-hmm. because again against this tampa team you can't make these types of mistakes because even in this game last night you know we're looking at it we see oh it was a close game and then you go to the shots on goal which necessarily you don't want to go on to but then you look at it and you see that realistically in terms of what Vasilevsky was put up against versus a carry price, 13 shots on goal, the differential, the margin in between what the Canadians did and what Tampa Bay did. It's ultimately standing no chance. The amount of shots that this guy is facing night in and night out, you have to say to yourself, how much longer can he continue up this greatness in order for us to win these games? Because look what he has to do. I think Shea Weber, um, he was the one that took the high stick on Andre Pilat. I think I think he actually like, scratched his whole face Yeah, uh, with yeah. uh with uh, a minute left in that uh, third period, and luckily, they uh, Tampa shockingly doesn't take advantage of it. Something that they're so good at, something that they're so good at, and now Montreal continues the series. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. definitely agree. I mean, we saw in Game One, Montreal is not afraid to get physical. We saw what happened to Gallagher, so mm-hmm. um, if that didn't <laughs> yeah. foreshadow anything heading into the series, James, I do want to get your take, but I just want to say. Cole Caulfield had two assists in that game. He he was outstanding. Josh Anderson had two goals. Romanov had the other. The Lightning outshot Montreal by 13. But, again, Montreal, job well done. You got to give them credit where credit is due. Yeah, no, you 100% do. Especially could have, I mean, just getting sweeped. And then it would just been tortured for their fans to get the last game you see – Tampa win on their home on um, away ice and the Canadians yeah. home ice. But I look at it this way before Tampa left or prior during before the game, 
um, like I was saying, the mayor of Tampa said, oh, it would be great if you went at home. I was I watched the whole game, so I could be completely wrong on this statement. So don't bash me for whatever I'm whatever. It didn't seem like Tampa really had much wanting to really score, really have a drive. Yeah, urgency. Like if it was playing the Islanders, I think they would completely have the urgency and ended the game. I think they put that in the back of their mind. They're like, we know we can easily beat this team. We beat them three times Mm. already. We might as well just win. We might as well let them win on their home ice, come back to Tampa get the win on our home ice where we have a hundred percent capacity and can do whatever we want in Tampa instead of we can't celebrate in Canada because if you look at the stands, everything's still social distance and whatnot. So that's my logic. That's my thinking of it. I could completely be wrong, but I did not see any urgency in that overtime from Tampa at all. With again, I didn't, I didn't watch the game, so I can't speak on behalf of it. I, I watched a little bit of the first period, but not towards the end when it really started to get interesting. With hockey, hockey is different. Hockey, you have a 3-0 lead. That's not something to be comfortable with. You know, you look at the NBA, you have a lead like that. That's something to be comfortable with because more often than not, the more talented team will wind up closing it out, whether it takes a fifth game or so. With hockey, it's whoever shows up on that night who, yeah. who performs better, right? This was in the – the, the midst of Tampa, Shea Weber handing a, a four-minute uh, minor or f- four-minute major to Tampa Bay basically saying, you know, here it is on a silver platter. This is your opportunity to end the series right here and there. And to not take advantage of that, that goes into play with the statement of maybe not playing with such urgency. I don't want to say that because, again, with hockey, yeah. it could just be whoever's has the momentum at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you look at this whole thing with Montreal, their entire playoff bid – is based on momentum. They're down 3-1 against right. Toronto. They wouldn't even be here, but they came all the way back. So I don't want to say they didn't play with urgency, but I would say more towards the fact taking advantage of the opportunities in front of you. Look, everyone's entitled to their opinion uh, on this uh, topic, as, as always, but Tampa didn't play to lose last night, guys. They, no. they, they You play to win the game. Um, I would have preferred to have seen a good old-fashioned sweep um, if I was you guys, I would have liked to have seen that too because it would have looked better for the Islanders, um, being that they took this team to seven games is where if the Islanders were in this position, they, there's a chance they could have beat Montreal too in the cup finals. That's what's killing me. We could easily but beat them. Let's, um, while I, I don't want to play with your heartstrings too much, fellas, let's get to some of the comments. Uh, Noah, um, well, let's go back to the beginning. Go, go Braves. Uh, screw you. <laughs> um, keep up the good work, fellas. Thank you for the comment, Noah. Really appreciate Thank that. Um, Garth, Lekkinen and Romanov were phenomenal for the Habs last night. They were. They, they were. were. Romanov had that one goal. Uh, that got me on the edge of my seat. And then Hank commenting his review and preview. In my opinion, as of now, the Lightning might be the best mini dynasty in my lifetime. Do you mean in hockey? Oh. Because you could, you could I, go I would to. Say, I would say hockey because I would say the, yeah. the the obvious one, Hank, would probably be Golden State or the Patriots. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. There you go. That's the winner right there. That's the winner. You know? Yeah, I would say hockey for sure, but actually, maybe not even hockey because Chicago in the early 2010s. 
they were ultimately like an unbeatable team. They just over the past decade, uh, he he has a point. It's just hard for me to put a team that two years ago lost to an eight seed in four games. Yeah, uh, and call and call them a mini dynasty just yet, especially since they haven't even won back to back cups yet. So that mini dynasty comment, I'm going to disagree with. Um, Noah, honestly, think Montreal's offense has been okay. They just don't have the players Tampa Bay does, but their defense is bad. They win game three with a semi-good defensive game, two quick goals in both the first and second, always playing behind. Uh, this is very true. Garth says, yeah, he cut Palat, double minor, four-minute power play. Somehow we didn't convert. You got to convert on your power plays, um, especially at this stage of the game. And David Guyette, good evening, from Johnstown, New York. Good evening, David. Thank you very much. Um, and – Noah, remember, I said Tampa in six. And, yes, he did say Tampa in six last week on the show. So did Kyle. So did myself. So did Garth. We all said Tampa in six. An OT game, which they got, and a vintage carry price game where he's unbeatable. Step one, check. They need step two now. Thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, listen, in sports, you know, we talked about potentially seeing them sweep. While that's entertaining, showing such dominance, I look at from the fact is that you get all the way here. I want to see the most entertaining series possible. Six, seven mm-hmm. games, you get to this point, that's what I want to see. I don't, I don't want to see a sweep. I don't want to see a five-game series. Even though my team isn't in it, that's what I want to see because that's how competitive I think it should be when you get to the final stage of the game. So I would encourage that and hope that would be the case. Going into Tampa, having a dominant carry price game, and then you go in three two back to Montreal. The storyline with that in the game six that would be, that would be tremendous. So I hope it gets to that point, Noah. But I I think it's going to be really really tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they're winning in five at this point. Yeah. Um, I agree with Garth with this comment. Tampa needs to win in dominating fashion tomorrow on home ice. Yeah. Um, but Garth, nothing will be more dominating than an eight goal performance in the. Uh, semifinals. I think that was their most dominating performance of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the silence that we're going mm-hmm. through right now. So um, um, what's your next uh, segment, Kyle? But <laughs> James, I know you had the lightning in four. <laughs> um, yes. I wanted to see the sweep. I wanted yeah. to see the sweep. But do either of you think that there's any chance Montreal – can extend the series tomorrow night, or or does Tampa win it in five? I, I'm going Tampa in five. I, I'm going to go Tampa in five too. Yeah, Tampa in five. So we all agree with that. Um, Noah thinks six. Garth thinks five. Hmm. Um, this is interesting. Um, one other point on this series that I want to address. Um, Braden Point, who leads the NHL with 14 goals in the playoffs, who erupted in the Islanders series, has been very quiet in the Stanley Cup finals. I think Montreal has done a good job neutralizing him, but the problem is there's so many other options on this Tampa team, right? You can't account for everybody. I think Braden Point just matched up very well with the Islanders defensively. Um, And in this series, you know, there's other guys that are shining. It's been more of a, a scoring by committee type of effort at least early on in this series, as were majority of the goals in the Islanders series were scored by a braided point. Um, yeah. I yeah. think that in terms of, it's more so sharing the puck type of play from Tampa Lightning at, at this point in time, because I think that 
I'd probably say at this point in time, I would say Kucherov probably has the most points. But in terms of goals, I don't think anybody has more than two for the Tampa Bay Lightning in this playoff series. I, th- I think you're right. I think you're right. I'm trying yeah. to see Johnson. I think Johnson has two. Yeah. Johnson I, well, I know two. Kucherov has two as well, but that's I don't think anybody has more than two. Garth has an interesting point. One thing he did notice last night, at least, Montreal took a page out of the aisles. I believe you meant to say playbook. Yeah. They aggressively went after Kucherov and Point, hit them hard and often, and it threw them off their game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, the Islanders brought a lot of physicality in that series, and I think Montreal needs to start doing that a lot more. Um, yeah, and there's always a chance, Noah. There is always a chance. So I don't necessarily entirely disagree with your prediction, but I think it's more likely than not Tampa wins it tomorrow night. Although if they, they do extend the series, I'll have, I'll have to give you some kudos and credit on next week's show. Um, I got some stain on my shirt. Might want to wash it before the next show. Uh, this is Brandon Nimmo, by the way. Um, and talking about stain, stain, I don't even know. Are the Mets rained out or are they in a rain delay right now? Uh, let me check. I, Noah, I, I've been stained since, since 2006. I don't know about you. but uh, We are uh, in a delayed. Um, the app is telling me no estimated of time when starting, but it's delayed. Once Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright retire, I can – Kind of forget about 2006. Kind of. Um, but one last point on hockey before we transition into the Mets. Um, Alex Kalorn is a, I just looked it up, he's a game time decision for game five. Um, okay. So, again, he's still questionable. I I don't know if he plays. I don't know if it really matters at this point if he plays in Game 5. Garth, I kind of want to hear what you think on this. Do you think Kalorn could boost this lineup a little bit, or do you think Tampa Bay could easily win without him? I mean, I think Tampa's fine. I mean, they're they're up 3-1. They've adjusted quite nicely on the lines, and, you know, they've been getting in their checks and everything, and they've been playing quite well on the ice. So I don't know why, you know, they're going after pucks very aggressively. And, you know, if Montreal doesn't have a near-perfect performance defensively in Game 5, it's going to be Tampa in 5. Don't disagree. It's highly likely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, hey, let's transition into the Mets. Now that we've talked about our, our Stanley Cup dish, because, you know, it's always good to get our hockey stuff in. Um as a Mets fan, you know, I was really happy with, with the result this weekend, winning two out of three. It's it look, it's tough to win a doubleheader in yeah. the in the MLB. It, it usually goes down as a as a split unless it's a clear mismatch. Um and Kyle, as the Yankee fan here, I I, I think you, you can account for this that um regardless of what happened in the in the nightcap of that doubleheader, the, the Mets did what they had to do in this series, winning two out of three. Uh, Brandon Nimmo returned to the lineup, which was awesome. He brought in an immediate impact as the leadoff hitter. The Mets haven't had a legit leadoff hitter since he's left the lineup. All, all due respect to the guys that they've tried out, including Kevin Pillar. 
It just hasn't worked to the level of having Brandon Nimmo. You, you miss watching him run to first base when he draws that four pitch ball. Yeah. <laughs> and he's hitting over there. Yeah, that big smile on his uh, on his face. Yeah, you, you know what, James? I was just going to say, you and Nimmo have very, very similar smiles. Interesting. All right. I can actually see that resemblance a little bit. Montefusco, Nimmo. Nimmo. Both last names end in an O. Well, you know what? If if I get to a game this season, I'll I'll see if I can get a picture standing next to him and we'll both smile. I don't know. I'll be there Saturday, by the way. I'll Ah. be there Saturday, which we'll talk about that in a moment. A couple more comments. Uh, Mets are a rival, but I have respect for them. The Phillies, on the other hand, are an embarrassment to professional sports, and I hope they relocate to Montreal. Noah, I feel the same way. Um, yep. Look, I don't like Atlanta, but I don't hate Atlanta to the extent that I do Philly. Um, I do have respect for the Braves uh, as well. I do not have respect for the Phillies. I mean, I have respect for like their play, but just the the fans, the, you know, the Philly fans. There's just the something fans. about them that I cannot stand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Hank with a comment uh, about Ryan McDonough. Missed that dude. He's set for life. Definitely agree. Sal with a comment saying Lindor should have been in the number one spot while Nemo was hurt. Hmm. I don't disagree with that. But again, if you look at what Lindor has done this season, he hasn't, he has not played well, like at all. Yeah. Like he's, yeah. I don't even know, even if he was to play lights out the rest of the year, mm-hmm. if he could even get up to a 270, 260 batting average. Because right now I think he's at what, like 220, 218? I think you're right. Yeah, around there. So you want somebody, one of your best hitters in the leadoff spot. Yeah. And he has been everything short of that. Well, I will, while I will give credit to this, because with the Mets, all that they've faced this season, what's been really intriguing to me that nobody's really talked about is that every single one of these players for you guys has been hurt. He's the only guy that I don't think has missed more than maybe one or two games. Lindor. He's been like one of your only healthy yeah. players all season long. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even Alonzo went on the IL. Him and uh, I'd say I think Dom Smith might be the other yeah. starter or James McCann maybe too, um, although there might have been a point where McCann was on the IL. I'm not too sure. But I know McCann, Lindor, and Dom and Alonzo have been the four most available starters for the Mets. Everyone else has been in and out of the lineup. It's been atrocious. Lindor's played, Lindor's played 81 games, so that sounds about right. right yeah, I'm looking it up right now. Up. Yep, 81. That's remarkable. He yeah. has been available. Your best yeah. ability, we all know. His availability. Um, Noah, Brandon Nimmo, over Finding Nemo. <laughs> These comments. Um, yeah, Noah's a funny guy. We're going to have to get him on uh, – the show when, when the Giants play the Falcons this year in week three. That'll be the Eli Manning reti- uh, retirement game. Um, we'll have to get him on Hank's show, too, to talk about the Braves. I will unbiasedly say if the Mets offense gets going with their pitching, they're a tough play for anyone in this league. And that's an interesting comment because we also got Jonathan Villar back, Tomas Nito, yep. who's been a decent bat as the backup catcher. And again, nothing special as the backup catcher. Uh, Jay Roos, Familia coming back from the bullpen. Um, that's probably the Mets weak length right now is their starting pitching and their bullpen depth. I, yeah. I would be more concerned about um, 
I'd actually be more concerned about the bullpen depth than the starting pitching because the guys they've been able to find and come in and start these games have been quite have been doing quite well. Um, and I'll get into Tyler McGill in just a little bit, but um, because Luis Rojas also stated that um, Carlos Carrasco could return by the end of July, which I think is going to be huge for this baseball team having him back in the lineup, James. Um, yeah. Obviously, David Peterson was placed on the 10-day IL with right side soreness. And we also lost Sean Reed Foley with right elbow inflammation. So I'm more concerned right now about who replaces David Peterson in the rotation short term. Yeah. I know he'll be back because Corey Oswald's just not going to cut it. No, not at all. Is what's the status on Giselleman? Is he coming back anytime soon? I haven't 60, 60 day IL. They're talking oh, so September. Not, September no, for him. He's not coming back anytime soon. No, and Lucchesi, Lucchesi's done for the season too, right? Lucchesi's done for the season. Yeah. Yamamoto might be done for the season as well. Syndergaard, they're saying September 1st, but I, I would just shut him down. I wouldn't I, bring him back this year. I think depending on where we sit, you. I mean, right now we're still in first, but we all know after the All-Star game, anything could happen to any baseball team in the league. So if we just come off a diving cliff and we're nowhere in making contention, I wouldn't bring him back unless they want to stretch him out. Well, unless we'll, they want to work him in. I, we'll still be yeah. in first place after the All-Star break. I um, mean, like later when Syndergaard's like coming back off the IL. Like, do you then, if we're in contention and we're making a playoff push – do you then just throw him in the pen and say you're long reliever? Get two innings out of him, three innings out of him. I don't want Corey Oswald on a baseball mound for us, um, again, as a, as a starting pitcher. As long relief, I, I'd be open to the idea. Um, but the Mets bullpen is pretty deep. They have some decent players. I mean, I like Sean Reed Foley a lot more than that, than that other guy they had. I can't remember his name. Um, they brought Yesni Diaz back up, but he's just – you know, a guy who's there at the moment. Yeah. Um, J.D. Davis could return to the lineup this weekend dealing with a hand injury. I'd I'd say at latest J.D. will probably return after the All-Star break. They may do that just to be safe, but I would not be shocked if he's back this weekend. It would be awesome to kind of um, get him back when I go on Saturday, have like the full lineup healthy, full batting order at least. But Kyle – you saw Corey Oswalt in the nightcap of this doubleheader. What did you think of him personally? Do you think he could be a, a long relief option for this team come late, later down the stretch? I mean, my answer is no, but I want to hear from you. I don't think so because with, with the influx of pitches that you guys will be having in, you know, all based on health, uh, I think this is a guy that will wind up going being sent down. You know, you guys were talking about potential starters that could grab a couple games. I don't know if you mentioned yeah. him. But I think Miguel Castro's actually started like two or three games for you at some point this season. I don't know how far he actually went, but I know he's more so a bullpen guy, but I know that he's had at least two starts this season. So yeah. that could be potentially yeah. somebody that you go to until you get these other guys back because when do, when is like the timetable for Carrasco? Because that essentially will solidify your – that will potentially solidify your three, right? Because so, you have DeGrom yeah. now. You have Stroman. Strowman's not part of the three, right? It's for me when Carrasco's back, the order should be the Grom, Taiwan Walker, and then yeah. Strowman. Yeah, I like Taiwan yeah. Walker a lot more than Strowman. I'm I'm a lot 
I'm much more glad that we have him rather than Trevor Bauer right now. Man's a little <laughs> nutcase. But back to the comments for a hot second. Noah saying, I would definitely love to be on the show at some point. We would definitely love to have you on as well. Really do appreciate your comments, including this one. Roy Oswalt over Corey Oswalt. I definitely agree. And then he did throw in a slight little dig about the 2011 playoff game against the Giants. Um, yep, we're down 2 nothing in that game and then scored 24 unanswered. I remember that. That's the last Giants home playoff win, actually. That was the only home playoff win of Eli Manning's career. Yeah, everything was in the road. I had fun hearing that. And Sal, you're actually right. Oswalt did go to the IL today. This was done literally today with right knee inflammation, so we could forget that idea. Yeah. Um, thanks, Sal, for cashing that. Um, we made the script before that transaction happened. But um, so it's going to be DeGrom, Strowman, Walker, McGill, and then. I mean, Kyle might be right. Maybe you throw Castro out for a fifth game um, yeah. until Peterson comes back because Peterson's your guy when he comes back. He's the only lefty you have in the starting rotation, mm-hmm. even when Carrasco comes back. So you have to keep him in the starting rotation. But let's move on to the next topic of discussion for the Mets, and that's Jacob DeGrom. Jacob DeGrom, who is – obviously an all-star and he's also the best pitcher in the MLB. He was named an NL all-star for the fourth time stated that he is highly unlikely to attend because he is scheduled to pitch on Sunday against the Pittsburgh Pirates. That is two days prior to the all-star game. The Grom stated, I don't think it's smart to go pitch in the all-star game. So I don't think it makes sense for me. Um, I agree with him. It doesn't make sense, especially with the, injuries that he's been dealing with this year. It's one thing if he came out and said that he's going to miss a start for precautionary reasons. Um, I I would be against that. But an all-star game, there's no need to put your arm at risk in that game. Especially for the the two winnings that he would throw in in the beginning of that all-star game. There's no reason to risk it. Tom, like you said, a guy – yeah. who's been pretty much not injured all year, but consistently having something up. And then on top of that, you know, we look at this Mets team and you guys could probably agree with this as well. All the injuries that you guys have faced this year, you guys have kind of worked above that and pushed yourself through these obstacles. You cannot, this is the one guy you cannot lose. And to potentially yep. risk it in an all-star game is just not. It's not, uh, sadly, but um, hey, you know, Corbin Burns could get the start. You can no. give it to somebody else who's been pitching quite well. Um, for some reason, I can't think of any other top-of-the-line NL pitchers at the moment because I, I, you're not starting Herman Marquez. I'm appalled that he's an all-star. Um, I know uh, it's because you need one from each team. Yeah. I think maybe Gosman could get it for the Giants. He's been Gosman. Gosman was running on a no-hitter last night and then ended up losing the game. That sucked. Yeah. That really yeah, sucked for him. He'd probably be the guy, or maybe Darvish, maybe. You, you Darvish for San Diego, yeah. yeah. But the Grom is supposed to start tonight against the Brewers, against Brett Anderson. That game is currently in a rain delay, so I live about 10 to 15 minutes away from City Field, and I don't know what the weather is currently like, but it, it was downpouring. Um, 
about an hour ago when we were getting ready to start the show. I don't know what it's like out in Long Island right now, guys, but uh, yeah, hopefully the Mets get in that game tonight. I, I just the, the Grom keeps getting bumped around with his starts this year. It's astonishing. Yeah, I think that's also probably why he was looking at it like don't play in the All Star game because yeah. he just been bounced around left and right. I mean. I, I look at it this way. The Grom's doing something smart, not only for his health, but also for his team. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows where his team sits. He knows where he can take them. He doesn't want anything to happen. Okay, yeah, I pitched two scoreless innings throw, say, 20 pitches at 100 miles an hour plus each. And then, God forbid, something happens at the next start. You're going to look at, well, because you, you, you threw crazy in the All-Star game. It's like have his right. body completely relaxed. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, and Kyle, I, I want to get to your point, but the thing is that I don't want the Grom pitching unless he's 100%, right? I don't want him pitching at 95% because back, I think the, it, the game was in Arizona, right? He was running on a no-hitter there for like four or five innings, and then clearly something was not good with him. But the Grom is the – pitcher that if he has something going on mid game, he's not going to tell you about it. He wants to pitch through it more often than not. He has to speak up a little bit when those things happen, you know, fans may not like it, but you got to prioritize your health. Yeah, no doubt. I don't listen for, for Mets fans and I'm obviously not a Met fan, but just based on what this guy has, if he was on my team, if he speaks up and say that he wants to sit or he wants to rest himself, I have zero problem with it whatsoever because I know how important he is to the success of this team. And he probably sees that as well. You look at this NL from a whole, guys, there's only six teams, including the Mets, that even have a 500 record. This this NL this year is awful. And three of those teams that are above 500 are in the West. So there's really – that's the competition at this point. While it is close, I think the Phillies, Nationals – and Braves are all about four, four and a half games back of the Mets yep. of place. You want to keep yourself afloat so that when all these guys come back, that's when you could start to take that lead. So he's the key to the success. He's the driving force to where this team could potentially be. And again, if he's willing to speak up, if he's a guy that speaks up, I know personally I wouldn't have a problem with it if he was on my team because again, he's he's potentially a guy that could probably win the Cy Young this year and win the NL MVP, to be quite honest with you. So if that's the guy on my team, that's the missing piece, the key piece to me winning a championship going as far as we need to go, I have zero problem with it whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe the Grom is also the longest tenured Met. Um, he's at least at least top two. Um, the Grom, Conforto? Uh, Conforto didn't start playing until the World Series year, 2015, okay. his rookie year. Um, what about Garden? No, because the Grom was drafted in 2010. Syndergaard was drafted after that. Um, mm. and I, I looked at Jay Roos Familia. He started in 2012. But the Grom, and again, I'm not trying to compare him to like the GOAT level stat, but he's the Eli Manning of the Giants, right? He's he yep. he's been a, a Met his entire career. I'm not I'm not talking about from like uh like you guys know what I'm trying to say. Like, a per- a performance perspective, like yeah. even Eli Manning wasn't always the best player on the Giants. Obviously, that was not the case. The Grom has been the best player on the Mets for a while now, and this is the most important player to 
your team. So that's the point I kind of wanted to make with that. But we do have another comment here. Um, Hank, if you could please comment as Hank and not review and preview, I would appreciate that. Um, Taiwan, <laughs> Taiwan should replace him on the NL roster. No reason he shouldn't have made it. Um, I, I mean, see it. He gets overshadowed by the, the Grom. He's yeah. kind of protected in the rotation, you know. All due respect to him and how well he's done. Um, I don't – I. you know what? He should. He, he should because you're going to need a Met in there anyway, right? And his ERA is well under three. I think it's like 2-4, right? Yeah, and yeah. he's won seven games. So, actually, you know what? Why not? Yeah, yeah. it makes sense, yeah. Why not? Um, is Edwin Diaz an all-star in your eyes? <laughs> I think he's like – he's top ten in saves this year, but he has above a three ERA. Yeah, he's not an all-star in my eyes. He almost blew the game last night. You could make an argument for Edwin Diaz. I wouldn't put him in, but I think he deserves uh, consideration. There's a lot of good closes in the NL. I think that's what hurts him. If he was in the NL, and Melanson's the best one. Yeah, Melanson and Josh Hader are, are up there. Yeah, you got Melanson in there, Jansen, Kimbrell, Reyes of the Cardinals, and Hader. Kimbrell, yeah. And Han, too. Brad hands, yeah, yeah. I want to put Jake McGee in the category. He's been way too inconsistent for me, despite having a good amount of saves. Um, yeah, that's where I stand with Paul Lombardi. What's up, Paul? Yeah, yeah. There, there you go. Taiwan should replace him on the roster. No reason he shouldn't have made it. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could have put Taiwan in over Herman Marquez. I'm going to make that argue that argument again. Um. Yeah, hundred percent right. Make sure to check out the three and D tomorrow night. Paul Lombardi will be live. He usually airs on Monday. He'll be on Wednesday this week. I'll be on that as a guest, um, recapping Game One of the NBA Finals. Um, Sal with another comment. Stroman needs to shut up and just pitch. Uh, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you. I'm not going to get too into that, but. Um, I do see where you're coming from with that, and I do agree with you, Sal. Uh, Diaz would make it if he was in the AL. Yeah, yeah you know what? Yeah. yeah, Paul Paul knows what he's talking about. I mean, look, the American League pitching just isn't as good. It's the nature of the having the designated hitter, yep. right? You're going to get – when you're a pitcher in the NL – you get reps against pitchers, right? You get at bats against pitchers. In the AL, you don't get that. That's why the ERAs are very different. Like, let's let's be real here, guys. If the Grom is in the American League, is his ERA under one? I don't think so. I think it's close because of how well he's been pitching, but I don't think it's still under one at this point of the season. And I am the one of the biggest Jacob the Grom fans you'll me, but I will admit that it would probably be a little above one. It's it's hard to tell because, like like I said before, there's only six teams in the entire National League that are above 500, and then you go to the AL, and you have already four just in the East. Yeah, and then you look at the rest. You have Chicago above 500, Cleveland above 500, Houston, Oakland, Seattle, and Los Angeles is at 500. So that's ten teams right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
next topic, and then I'll get to Sal's comment. Um, let's talk about a newcomer, a fresh face on this New York Mets team, uh, Tyler McGill. Tyler McGill, as you all know, I, I love to plug this. Him and I have the exact same birthday, month, date, year. So you can do the math. Um, it's the exact same birthday, and I'm going to see him pitch on Saturday, although this rain might push McGill back to Sunday, and I hope that's not the case because I would love to see him uh, at my first sporting event attended as a fan since the pandemic because um, I have been at MetLife Stadium. But, um, yeah, McGill making his fourth MLB start on Saturday, looking for his first win still. The Mets, the Mets have won all of McGill's first three starts. McGill just has not been credited with the win. He struck out seven in five innings pitched last night, and this is a guy who came into the MLB with only nine starts above Class A. What, do you, what are your thoughts on Tyler McGill, James? Do you think he's here to stay? In this rotation, obviously, we don't know if Syndergaard's going back this year, but I think if he continues to pitch like this, he has an argument to stay as that five starter. Um, yeah. You know, no, I agree with you. I think as long as he stays this course and doesn't do anything crazy, he stays, and I think he would be good. You know, I you, you always hate to say this, but this comes to every sport. It's like if especially in baseball around the summer year and later on come September is he's good, but then every team has to look at the bigger picture. They're all star guy. They're big name guy. If he's pitching the way he's been pitching, he's going to be your big name guy. He's going to be a guy that you want on your team. But if he somehow hits a slump or whatnot, teams are going to be like, are going to start looking for him that are trying to make a run for it. So I would like for him to stay as a Met, you know, um, young guy around our age, you know, can hopefully grow with the team along because the team's very young in some aspects to kind of mm -hmm. keep that course. But it always comes down to does another team end if he doesn't continue the same pitching he has been right. pitching, at, the same level he's been pitching at. Mm -hmm. So I would love for him to stay as a Met. Don't get me wrong. But Kyle, the other aspects. What are your thoughts on Miguel? He just two hit the Milwaukee Brewers last night. I mean, yeah, he only won five innings, but I know he's on probably an inning limit right now, trying to get used to MLB life. What are your thoughts on him as a young prospect? In sports, it's all about capturing the opportunity. And he's been given this opportunity not only because of his talent within the minors, but because of the fact all these injuries in which the Mets have faced, right? We just talked about all these injuries, especially to the pitching rotation in, in which they've been faced between now Oswald going down, Carrasco still being out, Lucchesi done for the rest of the year. Um, yeah. Bishop Atlantis is done for the rest of the year as well. Carrasco still being out as well. This is, <laughs> this is the opportunity. This is the opportunity. He's capturing the opportunity to show his name and place his name as a part of this Mets rotation. And if he continues to do so, he will be looked at when it comes down to the tougher decisions. Will this guy be a guy that survives that, you know, bring down guys who bring up a, a syndicate uh, to somebody like that or uh, potentially bring in a Carrasco? Will he survive something like that? If he continues to pitch that way, you can only hope that he will be able to do so. Yeah. But with a guy like this just coming up, a young guy, only 25 years old, 
uh, three career starts, we know, just like you said, Tom, on a pitching uh, limit, that he's probably also on a short leash in terms of the mistakes that he can make. And if he does have a bad game, that's something that will be looked at potentially. But if he continues to play like this, he will make a name for himself in terms of staying on this roster. Right. I just, when Peterson comes back, he's not going to replace Peterson because Peterson's been pitching a little better as of late and he's a lefty. Um, Sal says TM is a stopgap. Um, I think you're right. As of right now, because Carrasco is coming back, Peterson is coming back. They currently don't have a five starter. So one of them, when Peterson comes back, he'll be there. McGill will be the five starter. And then when Carrasco comes back, that's probably the time that McGill gets sent back down. I would imagine. Um, Before we briefly talk about the trade deadline and if the Mets should make a move or not, Sal does have a question about the sticky stuff if that has hurt Cole and Chapman a little bit. Kyle, any thoughts on that? I think it absolutely, uh, again, you don't want to pose negativity upon players, but you can only hope with put the puzzle pieces together and say, yourself, when sticky stuff came about and came to fruition to the public's eyes, first off, you saw the infamous interview of Garrett Cole reacting to it. That kind of was not a – wasn't the greatest of looks in terms of how he reacted to it. But then ever since then, the performance level has gone down for him. I don't want to say tremendously, but not up to the placement of just a month ago, guys, two months ago, we were having the discussion, you know, Jacob DeGrom is obviously the best pitcher in the league, but Garrett Cole is the number two. Now that argument isn't potentially the case anymore because of how he's been pitching this year. And then look at Chapman. Chapman, we talked about how Edwin Diaz could potentially be uh, an all-star if he was in the AL. Well, the best closer in the league, or at least what was seen to be the case, and is an all-star in the AL this year, and Aroldis Chapman, the last, I want to say, I don't know how many games, I want to say the last nine games, he's given up 14 runs or something like that, four mm-hmm. home runs, and has a 22 ERA, as opposed to the first 13 games of the season. He had a sub-one ERA, only allowed one home run, and was absolutely unstoppable and established himself as, once again, the best closer in all of baseball. That's no longer the case anymore. And it's all about timing. Again, with these guys, I think you could definitely say that sticky stuff has hurt them. Mm-hmm. But they're also well-established pitchers. Again, it's all about getting to that. Can they get back to that same place? I don't know. But I think that they can still be really good pitchers in this league. But again, it's <laughs> as a Yankee fan – that nine-year contract gets a lot scarier, you know, because you're getting a guy that you – when you paid for him, you said that he was a solidified Hall of Famer, the best number two in baseball in terms of number two pitcher in baseball right behind DeGrom. Now you're saying, you know, this guy just might be a great pitcher, not not this prolific all-star, one of the best in the league type of pitchers. Mm-hmm. It's definitely scary to see, but I, I would definitely say to the fact that Timing is oddly suspicious in terms of when the sticky stuff uh, occurrence came out and and now how they both have pitched over the course of the last month. I wouldn't worry too much about the contract. Um, I know it's another nine years, but you could be us paying Bobby Bonilla until James and I are in our 40s or or close to I've had plenty of Mets fans talk to me in my day. They've gotten to the point where today they get celebrated and laughed at, not in terms of anger. So... 
I don't know how you guys feel, but it's 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 hey, a look. day in which I know a lot of Mets fans <laughs> laugh at, not necessarily get asked too. It just yeah, I think yeah. Wednesday, it's July first, July first, last Thursday. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, last topic of discussion on the Mets: the MLB trade deadline is coming up. Mm-hmm. Should the Mets make a move for any of these potential targets? Obviously, I think starting pitching is what you're looking at right now. You want to bolster your starting pitching. Um, you could potentially get a utility player. Um, we do remember, you know, five, six years ago when the Mets had that World Series run, they went out, they got Ioannis Cespedes and Kelly Johnson, which were two huge pieces to this baseball team, yeah. um, especially Kelly getting some good at-bats late. Um Josh Donaldson, potential target. Jose Berrios out of Minnesota, which I don't think is too unrealistic, although I don't think it'll happen. And then the one that I think the Mets should seriously consider is Max Scherzer. Um, Do you guys like any of these three targets for the Mets, and where do you think they should go here with this, James? I'll start with you. Honestly, when I see Max Scherzer on the list, I would go with him. He, you know, he's a good pitcher. You know what numbers he can put up. Having him and Degrom, obviously Degrom's your number one. Having Scherzer as your number two, forget about it. Realistically, if it's a three-game series, you're at least taking two games. So you take two games every series, or even if it's a four. I like Scherzer. That'd be huge, especially with our pitching woes we have. You know, Degrom has had his blips. You know, nothing concerning, but his blips, you know, God forbid if it is concerning, you always have somebody like Scherzer to back you up. I would go with him. I I don't know um, too much about the other two guys um, just because I haven't done much research on them yet. I will. Um, but utility is always good to go with. You know, there's nothing wrong. We saw that when they brought in Kelly Johnson, when they brought um, Cespedes. Who, who else they bring in during that era? Um other people. I, I also saw somewhere over the last few days they're thinking about um, Estrubel coming back. Estrubel Cabrera. Cabrera. I, I don't know if it's complete he, rumors. I haven't really dove into that as well yet either. But I, I'm like, I, I don't understand yeah. what we would get out of that. My main goal would go after Serger. Look, That's we got Nito. We got McKinney and Pilar as yeah. our backup outfielders. That's outstanding. And then we have Villar. I think we're position player wise, we're looking for an upgrade over Peraza. Yeah. The Mets have come out and said, Zach Scott has said, we're not looking to trade our top prospects. We know how that's gone over the past few years. Dunn, Kalenic, I mean, the names go on and on. But Kyle, what do you think? And is there any player you think the Mets should attack at here? I think that obviously, you know, you want. I think we might have lost Kyle. Kyle is frozen. I want to remove him from the screen, let him figure his stuff out. So I did speak with Kyle before the show, though, tonight, and hopefully we do get him back here in just a moment. He, his player, I believe his player was Josh Donaldson. Um, he might have had somebody else in there as well, which he'll reveal that to us in a moment if we do get him back. But, um, yeah, Josh Donaldson is a player who's been in this league for a very long time. He's a veteran. 
He has a solid bat. He can hit a lot of home runs. And I think that's what you're looking for off the bench, considering how fragile this Mets lineup has been this year. J.D. Davis has been out since May. Brandon Nimmo just came back. Um, we've lost a lot of guys due to injury. And Villar is not enough backup depth in the infield. I know Dom Smith can come in and play first base, but they've yeah. been starting him in the outfield. They've been starting him out there with Nimmo and Conforto. Those are probably your three starting outfielders, and J.D. Davis will play third when he's back with McNeil at second, Lindor and Alonzo in your infield with McCann. Problem is, where's the depth? I wouldn't. I mean, look, the depth is important. I do think the depth is important. I do think bullpen depth needs to be yeah. improved as well. Um, and I just got rumored that Kyle lost power. James, I know you're in the same area as Kyle, not yeah. too far. So too far. I know we still have you for now. But yep. if that event comes, we will um, deal with that when we get there. But um, hopefully – Hopefully we're able to get Kyle back. Um, I know yeah. the, the weather's crazy out there. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I only have a window, and, well, it's not showing me much. So, Sal says, I think we have the bats unless a trade for a young position player who will be here long term. We need to add a starter and top reliever. I, I do yeah, agree. I agree. Um, to an extent, unless it is Josh Donaldson. I think that's one player you could make an exception for. Um only because of the pop he has to his bat, and he would probably be just a rental um, for this year, considering how competitive the Mets have been. I mean, look, we're going up. We beat the Brewers yep. la- uh, yesterday. We have the series lead over the Padres this season. I know we haven't really gone up against the Dodgers yet, yeah. but, I mean, we've been doing well against good teams in the NL, good teams. Uh, no, we Cubs, good. We're good against, so, yeah. It's nice to see. It's really nice to see, especially from some of those teams from past years, Tom. As me and you both know, we've struggled against those teams. Those teams have been torture series to watch. But to see them not being torture series to watch right now, it's it's enjoyable. Um, but, yeah, those – it trade deadline should be – oh, Kyle's back. back. He is back. Oh, awesome. A little scary there, boys. A little scary there. So, just to catch you up to speed – um, I believe you said Josh Donaldson but before the show. Was that the player? Or was there anybody else you had in mind for the Mets? With so for me, what I was going to say is that you obviously want to go to the big fish, and that's sure. And from what I'm hearing, the the owner and the GM would have no problem doing that, even though it's an in division rival. But for me, in terms of what you guys have to give up, I don't know what your uh, farm system looks like. Do you guys even have enough without giving somebody from your starting infield, the starting rotation to get that guy? Right. I think realistically the guy out of the guys that we talked about would be a guy in Josh Donaldson, solidify that infield. Great player. The worry with me with Donaldson is this, is that he was just rewarded a massive contract from the Minnesota Twins, which you guys would be, I assume, taking on. There would have to be some type of, money deal in which I would assume Minnesota would have to eat a lot of that money for it to work in your guys' favor. But that would be the guy that I would go for just because in terms of the farm system and not having to pluck from your already starting, you know, 40-man roster, what I would be comfortable with if I was a Mets fan, giving up versus giving up, you know, your entire farm system away to have the one-two punch in the major leagues with the Grom and Scherzer. I definitely agree. 
Yeah. It'll be in interesting to see how it all pans out. The Mets are currently in a rain delay against the Milwaukee Brewers. They are in first place in the NL East at 44 and 37. James, any final thoughts on the Mets? No, I need to get to a game. I need to get a few games this year. Absolutely. With, with uh, all us three going to a Met game, that would be nice. We've been trying to plan that for oof, years. Um, yeah. So hopefully this summer we can make it happen in some way, shape, or form. So. I'm going Saturday, and then I'm going September 13th when they play the Cardinals. Uh, oh, very nice. Who are they playing this weekend? Monday. Huh? Who are they uh, playing? The Pirates, I believe. We have like play? we have six or seven games in a row against the Pirates. I'm pretty sure. They got a couple. Um, I'm trying to think of the some of their players, the younger players, Adam Frazier. He's been really good this year for the Pirates. That'll be interesting to watch him. And then Brian Reynolds in the outfield. Yeah, Reynolds. That's who it was. Reynolds has been. He hits. He, he slashes. He yeah. slashes. Um, but yeah. Um, speaking of young talent, I think this is a good time to transition into our next segment where we're kind of just going to talk about some of the updates that have happened across the NFL and <coughs> the rest of sports. Bless you. Thank you. Um, Trevor Lawrence signs his rookie deal. Yes, he did. Four-year, $36.8 million. That includes a $24 million signing bonus. Um, it's nice. Nice. Nice chunk of change there for Trevor Lawrence. He is 21-year-old rookie who played three years at Clemson. He is viewed as arguably the best game changer franchise type of quarterback to come out of college since Andrew Luck in 2012. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see um, how he performs in Jacksonville this off season, but any thoughts on this contract and if Trevor Lawrence could live up to that Andrew Luck type hype? I think he definitely can live up to the hype of a potential Andrew Luck type of player you know you look at Andrew Luck's career and you try to compare a little bit the problem with Andrew Luck's career is you just if he if he came in a couple years into if he waited for um I believe the guy GM's name is Ballard I believe that's his name yes yep he, for him to well and establish that team solidify that O-line to where it is now versus the first four or five years of his career what the Colts could have been in this league you know, what the Jaguars have going for them is they already have a, a decent offensive line with Cam Robinson, and they have Andrew Norwell, and I'm, I believe they drafted an offensive line too this year. They have Travis Etienne, who they know works nicely with uh, Trevor Lawrence from his college days. They built up the defense a little bit through free agency, which killed Griffin, uh, added Marvin Jones, um, nice, well-established veteran receiver, getting guys back like D.D. Westbrook, getting guys back like a D.J. Chark, who's a well-established wide receiver in this league, young and up-and-coming receiver. So I think this could be really good, but I think that it's all in terms of what Urban Meyer does, the systems that he runs. You know, can that college level of coaching transition to, you know, the NFL? We've seen in the past where, you know, Nick Saban took that jump to the, to the NFL with the Miami Dolphins, and that did not pan out well. We've seen it in basketball where John Calipari took the risk to go with the New Jersey Nets, and that didn't pan yep. out well. So we see that not necessarily transition all the time. These Some of the greatest of all times go from the college level, and it doesn't transition to the pros. And you hope that for Trevor Lawrence's sake that it already that it does because we already mm -hmm. know that he's playing within a very, very good division with teams like the Colts, teams like the Titans. 
So we hope that he's able to compete. But I think that he could live up to that potential. Another guy being compared to him uh, coming out of college was Peyton Manning as well. So tremendously high praise for a quarterback that hasn't even played a snap yet in the NFL. So, But I think that he could live up to that potential. But I think it's based on the fact what Urban Meyer system-wise uh, puts for him and works for him. I definitely agree with that, James. Yeah, I, you know – we always say we don't know, we don't know. I think he, he seems like a good guy with a smart head on his shoulders. He'll lead that team. Um, is it a lot of money? Yeah. I mean, but I guess that's what rookie contracts go for now, especially if Jacksonville is trying to get back to some sort of not laughable – Yeah, and not a laughable team. Um, listen, we'll see what happens. Like, I, it, he's just – right now he's a name with the guy – it's a name with a four-year contract, a rookie deal to the Jaguars. Let's see what he has to do. That's what I look at. You have to see how he produces. We've seen it as Giant fans. You know, when we got Odell, we knew what level he was at, and he performed at that level on the field. Yep. Trevor Lawrence, we know what level he's at. Can that translate to an NFL-type career? I right. don't know. We have to see. And if he develops – you, you could sign guys that want to play with him, but Jacksonville exactly. is a team that has come out and said they want to build their roster more through the draft than sign guys, although they did sign a heck of a lot of free agents in the offseason. But yeah. um, moving on from Jacksonville, I want to talk about Patriots wide receiver Nikhil Harry and how he has – well, his agent formally came out and requested a trade saying that Harry would like to be traded. This was reported by Mike Garofolo today. Harry is only 23 years old, the 32nd overall pick by the Patriots back in 2019, a big body wide receiver at six foot four. In 2019, he had seven games with five starts. This was Tom Brady's last year in New England, had just 12 catches and two touchdowns, barely over 100 receiving yards. And then last year, he played a little more, 14 games with nine starts. 33 catches, over 300 yards, and two scores. So this is a guy who has been used more sparingly. He's not really this number one receiver that everybody was expecting him to be for the Patriots in his first two years, but the guy's only 23 years old, and I feel like this storyline all came about because somebody, again, I don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but Kyle, it seems to me somebody came out and said that Nikhil Harry is not a lock to make the Patriots roster, and now it's all turned into trade. The guy doesn't want to be there anymore. So what are your thoughts on this Nikhil Harry situation? Well, I, I agree to an extent. You know, he was – I'm pretty sure he was the first receiver drafted in that class it, it, back with that first – I think he was the only receiver drafted in that first round. And that was also a draft in which we got to remember highlighted some guys like Ebo Samuel and DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown. And, you know, that, that legitimately is part of the locker room stance is that we picked you, and we swung and tremendously struck out. He's not a very speedy guy. He, he doesn't run routes very well. And, yes, the Patriots were hit tremendously hard with COVID last season and injuries, but on a team that was lacking a tremendous amount of offense and you were really one of the only healthy receivers, this was an opportunity for you to showcase yourself and your talent, and he didn't necessarily do that. So for you to be one of the premier receivers on this team, really one of the only healthy receivers on your team and not – showcase your ability, your team goes out and spends all this money in free agency. You acquire a Hunter Henry, a John Smith. You bring in a Nelson Aguilar. You bring in a Kendrick Bourne. 
it's not surprising to me that this is a guy that's now being talked about that isn't a lock to make the roster because looking at least at the receiver class, because we know that Bill Belichick likes to run with his tight ends, necessarily the receivers, that's why they signed the receivers in which they did, not necessarily the star-studded receivers or for a long time it was rumored that Julio Jones would be a trade acquisition to the Patriots, that they run those two tight end sets versus focusing on the wide receivers. It's not surprising to me that after now this is his second or third year in the NFL that they could potentially be moving on from this guy because he really has not panned out well at all for this team. And where do you think he might land? Like what are some possible destinations? I mean, I know the Eagles have been brought up, the Chiefs, the Rams, the Colts are in need of a wide receiver. Um, What are we thinking? I think that he – at this point, from what he's shown, he needs to be in a situation where he doesn't have to be showcased as, you know, the guy. Like, because you look at the Eagles, you brought up the Eagles. They're they're a team that is, with the exception of Devonta Smith, you have Jalen Rager, hopefully in the second year, gets more consistency. But they have their, their lack of weapons offensively, wide receiver-wise. I don't think that would necessarily yeah. be a smart acquisition. I know they have guys like Ward um, – who played really well for them this year, Tom? Uh, Fulgham. I believe you actually – who? Fulgham, too. What are you going to say about him? Well, on your fantasy roster. I couldn't think of his name. Fulgham. Um, yeah. Travis Fulgham, yeah. But I don't think that would be a smart destination for him. Uh, I would think more so a team that's stacked at the position, stacked offensively, where he doesn't necessarily have to be showcased like that, uh, where it's just more of a depth piece, like maybe a Chiefs, uh, like maybe – I'm trying to think of another team that's stacked wide. The Rams. Yeah, Rams maybe, just as a depth piece. Because they lost Josh yeah. Reynolds. They did lose. Yeah. yeah, he signed with the Titans. He signed with yeah. the Titans. But uh, Ravens. Yeah, again, he, this is a guy that if Actually. he's not if he's not traded and doesn't make the roster, he would have to go on the waiver wire. So that would just be right. in terms of who necessarily wants to claim him. Because I don't necessarily know. If you're if you're a team right now, what value does Nikhil Harry have in which you'd be comfortable as an opposing GM giving up trade capital for him? I, I don't even though he's a former first round pick, I don't I don't know where he stands in terms of trade value. Right. That would be more so the yeah. guy that I look out for the waiver wire. So yeah. I don't know. Guys, I think this just goes to show that Bill Belichick missed again with another wide receiver in this draft, which, by the way, there was one wide receiver taken before him in that draft. That was Hollywood Brown, 25th overall. But to Kyle's point, yeah, Nikhil Harry was virtually like one of the first receivers taken in that draft. There were only two receivers picked in the first round, and now it shows you that, look, some receivers are developmental players. I'm not saying Nikhil Harry's not going to pan out in the NFL – but it doesn't seem it's going to be with the New England Patriots. Wide receivers typically don't pan out for the Patriots. I mean, you look at some of the best receivers that they've had, Randy Moss, Wes Welker, both acquired via free agency, waiver claims. I mean, Dante Stallworth wasn't a, a, a great receiver. Uh, Julian Edelman was, you know, that that was one exception, right? And he just retired. So now you would expect Nikhil Harry to take this jump in year three but apparently his agent doesn't want him to take that jump. He, he thinks he, he would do better elsewhere. But it's kind of astonishing to me that uh, Nikhil Harry could potentially be on the trade market. I think it would be better if he stayed in New England. But with the way the offense is running right now, uh, Cam Newton and then Mac Jones coming in as a rookie, who knows? Uh, you know, they're probably going to run a lot of 12 personnel 
with Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith, I would imagine. So those two tight end sets could be a factor too as to why that statement was released that he is not a lock to make the roster. But yeah, that's really all I've got on Nikhil Harry. Um, (laughs) Only other NFL thing I've really got for tonight is the Dallas Cowboys will be appearing on HBO's Hard Knocks. The Giants avoid Hard Knocks yet again. Um, I don't know how the Giants continue to do it, but I'll tell you this. How about them Cowboys? It's going to be so much fun. I, I love Hard Knocks so much. I loved it when – I don't know how many years ago it was. I don't remember if it was last year or the year before that when they had the Browns. It was just, it's just so much, uh, so much fun to watch. It's so much fun to watch. Uh, you want to hear a fun fact? Yeah, sure. This, yeah. this, I believe it's at least from my, if I can remember correctly, I think it was twenty years ago. The Cowboys was on Hard Knocks, right? Yeah. No, 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 no. It wasn't. It wasn't that long. No? It's it's funny you actually just said that because I just saw something. Uh, I think on NFL's Instagram, and they just posted the last time the Cowboys were on Hard Knocks. Danny Amendola was competing for a roster spot on the Cowboys, so it definitely wasn't okay. twenty years ago. Yeah, that's probably what I saw then, and I th- created. To 20 years ago. Good for them. I mean, they, they create a show every time they're on the field, so why as well just put them on HBO and have Jerry Jones and, you know, get all happy and show off his new stadium and not make yeah. the playoffs again this year. So that's what I'm looking <laughs> forward to, baby. Yeah. In. yeah. I had to. Uh, I mean, come on. It was 2008, by the way, last time uh, they were on it. They, they've been on it three times, 2002, 2008, and – this past year, last year it was both LA teams. The year before it was Oakland. So, well, do you want to know why they've been on it so much? Because they're this distinguished America's team. The Giants have never been on it, have they? The Giants? Nope. No. No. Nope. They've never been on it. It should Giants have never been the Jets, to be honest. Can continuously fly under the radar as far as this goes. And Noah has a comment. Nikhil Harry requests trade Patriots. Oh no. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is very true. This is very true. And then he says, great choice. Cowboys barely get any media coverage these days. They need some. Uh, I'd imagine that's sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they get a lot of media attention there, buddy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're on uh, TV every week. Some other news today. Um, I, I was actually watching a little soccer today. That's how much dead time we're in in the sporting world. Italy beat Spain in penalty kicks, four to two in the Euro semifinals. Mm. So they play the winner of England and Denmark. That should be very interesting. And then, of mm. course, what we're waiting for tonight at nine p.m. My Milwaukee Bucks are in the NBA Finals. The Milwaukee Bucks are in the NBA Finals for the third time in their franchise history. They will take on the Phoenix Suns in game one of the NBA Finals tonight. Giannis was originally listed as doubtful. He is now upgraded to questionable and will be a game-time decision. The Suns are early favorites. Kyle, do we have an update on Giannis? The last thing that I saw that he was practicing around in pregame. So, again, we'll see if they can go with him tonight, but I, I don't I don't uh, Tom you were talking about it before I think it was prior to the show with me and I, the way that knee looks man you can't tell me that you're ready to go a week later I mean I get it this is the NBA finals this is the last no pun intended this is the last leg of the race you can have him in every single game possible but if he's not ready to go you don't rush him back 
that, that that's my take on it. I, I wouldn't do so. Yeah. I mean, I'll be totally honest. The Bucks won the last two games of the Hawks series without him. Um, if it ain't broke, don't, don't rush it back. I, yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And what yeah. I mean is when Giannis is ready, you want him back, but you yes. can't rush him back because this is this is potentially a seven game series we're looking at here. Uh, it it matters what happens later on in the series, not so much game one. Uh, not to downplay game one. Game one is very important, but yes. uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. You don't want a Kevin Durant situation with what happened with Golden State uh, a couple of years back. So yep. that's my point there. In every NBA Finals. Kyle, you brought up this fun fact. Actually, I'll let you reveal it. But in every NBA Finals, and this is going to tick off some New York sports fans, in every NBA Finals, there has been a certain type of player on every team. Yeah. And, and I, I saw this on Instagram today, and I couldn't believe it. And I thought about it. I'm like, okay, this might actually be true. On every NBA Finals, there been at least one featured player that was a former player of the New York Knicks. Uh, this year's player is Bobby Portis. Uh, he played the Knicks a couple years back. But, uh, yeah, I think that would be great assault, Knicks fans. That's – Oh, my God. But hold on. The Knicks did make the playoffs this year. They did, James. They did. So, they did make the playoffs. But I don't – again, to see a former player of yours transition and and, again – at least with this year, a solid role player making it to the NBA Finals contributing. Because Bobby Portis, I know, was huge in uh, – Tom, I think it was game five. He was he was huge with Brooke Lopez. They performed tremendously. I believe he had a playoff over hot that game. So he's performing very well and and solidifying that role off the bench for the Bucks. So probably doesn't feel good. Again, I don't know if that's 100% accurate, but I did see it. Oh, and Paul in the comment section. Again, I didn't even think of him as well. Don't forget about my boy Langston Galloway, too, on the Phoenix Suns. If you all forgot he's in the NBA, he is on the Phoenix Suns at this point in time. I forgot about him. Yeah, I subconsciously knew he was on their roster because uh, my brother plays 2K. So, um, <laughs> yeah. There we go. Um, oh, just just updated. Giannis Antetokounmpo will play in game one of Bucks versus Suns. Hopefully he's on a minute count. This is, See, this is, this is this not is smart. Thing. This is not smart. Are, but I love it, but it's not smart. The Bucks. this I think, the series started off, game one was in Milwaukee. I'd say yes, because Milwaukee yes. would have shown us this postseason. True. That's a good point. They are a tremendous regular – they are a tremendous yeah. home team. They're not that great on the road. So right. you could go and you could lose game one. It matters what they do at home in games three and four. But, again, I really wouldn't force it because that could – if he gets hurt again or has to get pulled, I mean, we all saw what happened with Anthony Davis, right? They brought him back in what was right. deemed to be potentially too early and then missed the rest yep. of the series and ended up losing. But I think, Tom, we talked about it earlier. I think that Milwaukee is a team that, while Phoenix is very good, they've shown that without Giannis, they could still win games. And now Giannis moves back to the bench. Uh, not Giannis, sorry. Uh, ugh, Bobby Portis. Wow, that was bad. Um, <laughs> Bobby Portis will move back to the bench. And I just want to say – Shout out Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez Splash Mountain has been an outstanding um, player for the Bucks, especially with Giannis being out. Brooke Lopez stepped up and showed us why he is still a legitimate starting center in this league. People were having their doubts about him, that he's on a decline. While he may not be able to move very well, he is a force defensively in the paint. 
He is an outstanding dunker. He makes a lot of his shots in the paint. And Brooke Lopez is going to be a huge factor in this series. He's going to be up against DeAndre Ayton, which is a, all due respect to Clint Capella, a, a much tougher assignment. I, I won't say much tougher, but it's it's a tougher assignment than Clint mm-hmm. Capella, uh, at least offensively. Capella's more of a defensive guy who gets blocks and rebounds. Ayton is a legitimate scoring threat. Um, but I want to get through a few comments before we sign off because Paul will be talking basketball tomorrow on the 3 and D. Um Good game to the Bucs from a Hawks fan. Rooting for the Suns because my favorite player ever is Charles Barkley. Won't be mad either way, though. I love Giannis. As a neutral fan, a team either winning their first title ever or their first in 50 years is what I want to see. Exactly, yeah. Bucks won it back in 1971, 50-year anniversary. James Dolan should be embargoed from sports. <laughs> That's so uh, random. Saw earlier that Brooke Lopez is actually the Nets' all-time leading scorer. That he is. He was there for years. He was there for years. Um, Gosh. uh, Make sure to tune into the 3 and D tomorrow night, guys, where Paul Lombardi is going to be talking all things NBA Finals with myself. And uh, he may have another guest to do a little roundtable. He might have a Suns fan come on. So I don't know if that's official yet, Paul, but – yeah, tomorrow night at 7, the 3 and D, Wednesday, new time this week. And Noah, thank you for the comment. Noah says, great show, guys. Really do appreciate that. Um, make sure to go check out Noah and Garth on the Sports Box. Uh, get your sweet tea with them, no pun intended. But um, Kyle, James, it's been a pleasure to have you both back tonight. I know, James, you were, you were gone for a while, so I'm really looking forward to this. And I wanted to thank you both for joining us. Wanted to thank everybody for commenting in the comments section. Really appreciate all the support. We got a ton of engagement tonight, by the way, which you really love to see. And I want to remind you all that next Tuesday, July 13th, will be our last live Facebook show of the summer. So you're going to want to catch that. We will be putting out some YouTube videos during our time off. And we decided that we are going to return the week of August 31st. So we'll either do a show on the 31st or September 1st, one of those two days, or we'll preview the NFL season. We'll be back. We'll be ready to go. We'll be new and improved. And, guys, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's uh, nice that uh, I got worried that I wasn't going to be able to say my goodbyes potentially. But hopefully I'm back next week. We'll see what happens as I try to go on vacation. But I'm happy that I got to be with you guys tonight. James, it's great to have you back, man. Always always entertaining, always fun co-hosting with the both of you guys. It's great to have to, to be back with you guys. Missed it for so long. I, I love how I come back and then we going on break. What is this? No, I'm playing. Yeah, we're going I'm on break. Forward. I lose power. James, you lose just- power. Listen, I'm looking forward to you guys better catch us when we come back and last day of august or beginning of september it's going to be a lot of fun it'll be one of those two days so it'll Uh, be a lot of fun guest appearances on sweet tea during time off absolutely cheers to that my friend thank you very much for that comment uh james kyle thank you so much again for joining us tonight folks remember to give us a follow on all social media platforms that includes facebook instagram twitter catch us our audio podcast will be up in full length on the anchor and then we will take a clip and Put it up on our YouTube channel for you guys. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. That is huge. Put up a lot of good content. We're going to be interviewing a lot of people over the summer on YouTube. So make sure to go check those exclusive interviews out. 
during our time off. All right, folks, that'll do it tonight for Review and Preview. Really appreciate you all tuning in. You've been watching Review and Preview here on Facebook Live. Have a good night, everybody.